Well, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I'm glad you guys are here, Parks. And uh, James, James' brother is here as well. Uh, wow, we're looking forward to a great year. And when God is doing good things, and I believe that he is, please remember that that means that there will be opposition. Right? And sometimes the opposition will be our own flesh. Sometimes the opposition will be the evil one who wants to undo what God is doing, wants to maybe sow confusion into what God is doing. But uh, we won't have any of that. Amen? And we will stay to the word of God. And we will stay with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we will stay following the Holy Spirit. That is our desire. That's our intention. Uh, thanks to James Ferber for the message last week on hope in the future, just before uh, the turning of the calendar. And it ties in well with the series today that we're starting as we track with these two minor prophets from the Old Testament, Jonah and the Nam. Minor prophets, not because they're less important than major prophets, but uh, this, this, the distinction simply is that the major prophets are the longer prophetic books of the Old Testament. Uh, that's, that's the distinction. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Those are the major prophets. I, I, I won't try to name the other 12. There are 12 minor prophets. But I know two of them anyway. Jonah and Nahum. Jonah is the, uh, if, if you want to find it at all in, in a Bible or an app, it, uh, Jonah is the, the eighth last book of the Old Testament. It's just easier to come that way than to start at the beginning. Uh, and then Nahum is the sixth last book of the Old Testament. And we'll discover in a few weeks, unless you already know or you find out between now and then, what the connection is between Jonah and Nahum. There's a very distinct connection between the two of them. Ask a room full of people who grew up going to Sunday school. What's, what's the book of Jonah about? And I'll bet you... Uh, a good number of the people would say, oh, I know, I remember. That's the story of the big fish, <laughs> right? Or that's the story of the whale, somebody might say. Uh, and that's kind of right, uh, but it's not quite right. Uh, it's not a story about a fish. Uh, Jonah is really the, the account of a prophet with a bad attitude. That's really what, what, what the story of Jonah is about. It's the story, the true story, I believe, of a child of God who didn't want to do what he knew that God wanted him to do. He didn't want to do what he knew God wanted him to do. And, and Jonah, Jonah's, it's a real life story of a clash of wills. It's a clash of, of, of his will versus God's will. And so I think it's fair to say there's at least a little bit of Jonah in all of us, isn't there? Because if we talk about a clash of our will against what we know God wants, yeah, that happens. And we all encounter that. The battle of pride, the battle of self, the battle of insecurity, the battle of fear, any or all of the above, part of the, the clash of wills with God. There's a little context. During Advent, oh, we learn from the prophet Isaiah. 
And Jonah came on the scene a few decades, 40, 50, 60 years before, uh, before the prophet Isaiah. And Jonah overlapped, at least a little bit, with two other minor prophets, Hosea and Amos. The difference between Jonah and the other prophets is that the other prophets, when they heard the word of the Lord, like Isaiah said, Lord, send me. The difference with Jonah is that Jonah said, Lord, don't send me. And he literally went the opposite direction of where God wanted him to go. And you might think it would go without saying that a prophet would obey God, right? Well, doesn't a prophet just by definition, isn't that somebody who obeys God? But Jonah was human. And Jonah had a mind of his own and a will that wrestled with either doing what he understood God wanted him to do, first learning what God wanted him to do, then doing what God wanted him to do, or else doing what he wanted to do, knowing that it wasn't necessarily in line with what he knew God wanted him to do. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, say that again. <laughs> then I won't understand it. <laughs> and that's how there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us, isn't there? And so this is, this is how the narrative begins. Uh, feel free to follow along. And, and we've got, got the text up there. I'm going to read it today. The first, uh, I'll start with the first two verses. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. A pretty simple word from the Lord. We say, well, of course, Jonah should do it. Jonah's a prophet. Jonah should do what God says he should do. And we'll get to that. According to Genesis chapter 10, just a little bit more background, Nineveh was a city that was built by a guy by the name of Nimrod. Uh, I don't know why that's become a kind of a disparaging name nowadays, but Nimrod, who was a great-grandson of Noah. And he was responsible for the beginning and the building of Nineveh. And it eventually became part of the Assyrian Empire. She didn't come on. Which would end up conquering Israel. And the prophet Zephaniah would call Nineveh more or less invincible. It was a great city. It was a strong city. It was a powerful city. It had a lot of people. It had a lot of wealth. It had a lot of power. And it was well known for its temples dedicated to all kinds of different gods it was well known for its freedom and loose living and also for a good bit of violence, especially toward captives who might have been caught in war, that it could be a pretty violent place. God called Jonah and he said, I want you to go to Nineveh and warn them that judgment or discipline is coming because there needs to be discipline for wickedness. Now seriously, if God came to you in a dream or a vision uh, or an angelic visitation like Mary and, and Joseph experienced and said to you, go to some town or some city that you don't like. Now, maybe, maybe you can't think of one you don't like. But this was part of the problem for, for Jonah, and we'll get into that not today. But 
He named the city that Jonah despised. Or he feared it. He had, he had no love for Nineveh. Imagine if God said to you, I want you to go to that city that you don't want to have anything to do with, and I want you to go to the leaders of that city and tell them that they're in for some discipline from God unless they repent. Who would go, whew, I'm up for it, let's go. Probably not many of us. You see, the thing about a prophet is that a prophet is not a prophet until he's called to be a prophet. And the reason I say that is because until the Lord came for the first time, whenever that was with Jonah, and said, this is what I want you to do, until that time, Jonah was just Jonah. And God could do that to anybody. Because we find that a lot of prophets were hesitant to be prophets. They felt maybe they weren't worthy. They were just ordinary people, living their lives, working their jobs, and God calls them to say something on his behalf. God speaks to ordinary people. Do you believe that? I think if, if, if God were to, to speak to me in a dream, I mean, do you think of all people, well, of course the pastor would go, wouldn't he? I, I think I'd be more inclined to, number one, ask for his credentials to prove the message was from God. Unless I was already too scared and realized it was. And I would pull up my calendar just to prove that I'm too busy to be available. I mean, that's what our culture would do, isn't it? Oh, I'm so busy. I don't have time for that. Primarily, God speak to us, speaks to us through his word, his written word, the Bible. And I believe more and more that we need to be anchored to the word of God because more and more people are, are, are moving away and saying, you know what? The Bible's, it's okay. But it's not an anchor for me anymore. And if that is no longer our anchor, that external, that external, we need that intervention, that external intervention from God. And if we don't have that message, then what are we standing on? Then what are we anchored with? Basically, we become our own gods. And we decide for ourselves because we're in control. And that's why I so believe that the, the, the word of God, not in a bombastic way, but the word of God rightly understood and rightly applied. And that's where it's a big challenge, right? But that the word of God needs to continue to be our anchor, our foundation, because that is the word from Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ is more important, by the way, because he is God. Amen? And this is the word that points to Jesus. The whole Bible points to Jesus. He's on top. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then the word of God speaks about them and for them and to them. Uh, There's more more than I intended to say, but but God speaks uh, primarily that way. And the challenge this morning, and I'll get to it already, but don't get your hopes up that I'm winding up already. The... (laughs) The the challenge at the start of this new year and this new decade, what is God saying to me that I need to be saying yes to? 
What is God saying to me that I need to be saying yes to? It might, might be something big, might be something small. It might be something that you know you've been procrastinating and put, putting off for a while. It might be something that becomes revealed to you in the days to come. But as soon as I asked that question, as soon as I was asking that question, as I was preparing, answers from the Holy Spirit started coming to my mind for me. Randall, I need more time from your eyes. I need more time from your ears. And I even need more time from your mouth. More time with my eyes in his word, reading his word and letting his word Read me and speak to me. More time with my ears, listening to him, listening for him. And then more time, this is kind of the odd one, more time asking for things. And you know, initially that sounds, that sounds wrong, doesn't it? You know, we, don't, we shouldn't ask God for stuff, that's selfish. But by that I mean, and Jesus' brother James, chapter 4, verse 2, said it. You do not have because you do not ask. And so that means more time asking God for the things that he wants us to be in tune with him about so that we're asking the things that he has planted in our hearts. We're asking for the right thing. We need to be careful about something. When I say that I need to, to be more in the Word of God and soak in the Word of God and, and, and be more engaged with the Lord in prayer, most of us will nod our heads and agree and, and we'll say, well, you know, everybody could pray more or everybody could enjoy God's Word more. Then let's do it. Amen? Because it becomes dismissive if I just say, oh yeah, I mean, I know I should pray more. All right. It's like when we go out to the, to the foyer and, and somebody says, I really shouldn't have a piece of cake. <laughs> then, don't. <laughs> or else say, I'm going to enjoy a piece of cake. But similarly, if we say, well, I, I know I should pray more, then let's. Then let's. Without shame. Without shame. I encourage you and I encourage me to take inventory today. You can even do it while I'm talking. I don't mind. Is God wanting me to enjoy his word more? Is God wanting me to enjoy his presence more? Then prayerfully set a reasonable goal. Just prayerfully set a reasonable goal. If it's a few minutes more, if it's, if it's a few days more. Is the Holy Spirit nudging my spirit that I should be praying more intentionally, more regularly, more passionately, more sincerely, more deeply? Then prayerfully set a reasonable goal. Maybe, maybe he's saying to you, you, you need to get involved in ministry in the way that I've equipped you. Or maybe he's saying, you need to know where it is that I want you to be. 
and how I've wired you to serve me. Maybe it's, maybe it's about not overdoing ministry because maybe you're too, too involved in doing, believe it or not. Maybe, maybe God is saying it's time for you to, to join a smaller community to share faith with, like a life group. Spending more time with your children or with your spouse. Maybe God would be saying that to you today. Pulling your weight more in a relationship. That's the one that just really hit me. Say this morning, if that is, if that is what you need to hear this morning, that there's a relationship that you are in that God wants and is saying to you, you need to pull your weight. Whatever that means, you will know what that means about pulling your weight in that relationship. Stopping a behavior that's wrong and that gives you good guilt. Holy Spirit conviction. Not shame, but good Holy Spirit conviction. You say, I need to get rid of this behavior. I need to get rid of this thought. I need to get rid of this attitude. Uh, Maybe it's about wasting less time uh, or slowing down to salvage some time. Or maybe like Jonah, it's about sharing your faith that God's saying, you need to do that. That's what Jonah was being called to do. Whatever the Spirit is doing, whatever the Spirit is saying to you, whatever you do, whatever you do, tell somebody else that you need to do this. Somebody else who can track with you. We need that. Amen? Because if I say to the Lord, oh Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray more. I'm going to pray an hour a day now instead of a half hour. And then it doesn't happen. You just get discouraged. But if I tell somebody, you know what? This is what I'm doing now and this is what I want to do now. I want to set this reasonable goal. Will you help me? Will you track with me? Will you help keep me accountable to do this? It can make a world of difference. Because we have to answer to somebody who's visibly with us, who is representing in some way Jesus Christ's presence with us as part of the body of Christ. Does that sound fair? Does that sound... We need that. Uh, We've never been called to go it alone. And I think that was one of Jonah's issues. There's no way Jonah was going to talk to anybody about this. He didn't want anybody to know about it. Because he didn't want anything to do with what he was called to do. So Jonah ran away, verse 3, from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. I have a map for us. A little bit of help of this map from the ancient Middle East. Yeah, you can see it well enough, I think. Instead of traveling northeast to Nineveh, which is circled up there, Instead, he goes down to Joppa and hops on a boat wanting to go west to Tarshish. Literally the opposite direction. But you see the arrow that goes around, that's what ended up happening. Uh, But we don't get to that today. He got on a boat to run from the Lord. You'd think that of all people, the prophet would know better. But this is how close you and I might be like Jonah. What do you know about Jonah besides these four chapters? If you've read them or, if you, or you've just the story of Jonah. What, do you, what, what more do you know about Jonah? Probably nothing. 
Because there's nothing more to know about him. I mean, that's been revealed to us, except one verse, a couple of verses in, in, uh, in, in one of the history books. In 2 Kings 14, verse 25, Jonah's name is found. And it has, it, it, it has to do with, with doing some building. And that's it. That's all we know about him. This is how you are similar to Jonah. Believe it or not, like it or not. You could be just a conversation away from being directed to be or called to be something from the Lord that you are not yet. Does that make sense? Just a conversation away from being called to be maybe a pastor, maybe a teacher, maybe an evangelist, maybe a spokesperson, a prophet, Maybe an apostle to be involved in starting something new and overseeing it. You may be just a conversation away from that because Jonah was an ordinary guy. We'll go on to verses 4 and 6. The Lord then sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they even threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. What a nut. So the captain went down to him and he said, How can you sleep? He's a nut. Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we won't perish. Personally, I get motion sick swimming one length of a pool without earplugs. So I have no idea how Jonah could go to sleep. I wonder if maybe the Lord brought him to sleep, being in control of the situation. Or maybe Jonah was already a seasoned sailor. And so he went down, he said, I'm running from God, I'm not going to think about it, and he was able to fall asleep. Who knows? Whatever the case, experienced sailors up on deck are afraid for their lives, and they're even throwing off probably profit-making cargo into the water that they will never see again. To save themselves, the sea and the storm are so bad. And the sailors said to each other, come, let's cast lots. And by the way, that's code for prey. That's basically what that means. Let's cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. I believe the Lord was directing them to do that. And so they cast lots, and lots fell on Jonah. They understood the storm was the result of divine action. They, and they were just calling on, on help. This storm just whipped up all of a sudden. So fearfully, they cast lots. Essentially, they rolled dice to learn who was at fault. And God revealed it was Jonah. That's the same method the disciples used to replace Judas with Matthias as the 12th disciple. It was, a, it was a form of prayer. And, and, and it was soaked in prayer when they did that. It, it wasn't just, no, not that one. Let's roll again. I don't have the rest of this on the slide, but I'll read the rest of the story. So they asked him, how can you sleep 
Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And, and Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He didn't say, I'm a prophet. He said, I'm a Hebrew. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord. He had already told them so. See, there's more to the story. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. Clearly, the word of the Lord had been given to him, that that's what needed to be done. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. He must have paid them well. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. Reminds me of Jesus with the disciples when he said, Peace be still. And at this the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. We can't run from God, you know? Every advance in technology, I believe, is showing us a sliver of light into the immensity of God. All the technological advances that we see and we're amazed by. So all of the surveillance and dash cams and door cams and referee cams give us a sliver of light into the omnipresence of God. And I know those things threaten our, our, uh, our sense of privacy. But they give us a sliver of light, I believe, into the omnipresence of God. And they illustrate that we can't run from God. It's difficult to hide nowadays from the authorities, more than ever, isn't it? People steal packages from, from, from other people's porches and they got, the, they, they got the doorbell cam. There's this reality TV show that uh, my sons have been watching for entertainment over the school break. Uh, it's meant to be serious, but, but I just keep bursting out in laughter during it. Uh, it's called PD Live. Police Department, I think that's what it's called. Police Department Live. And they record officers arriving at crime. I mean, some of the situations are very sad. But they arrive at the, at the scene and they confront and they chase and they arrest and they, and they beep out language. And the one that got, laugh, got me laughing the, the hardest, I'm sorry, was a guy who got, a guy who got arrested. And, and he's, they're on the side of the street and he gets handcuffed like this, right? And then while the officers are talking on the radio, he bolts. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what it looked like. I mean, he looked like a skinny bobble doll. And you realize suddenly just how important it is to have your arms to run. They're, they're, very, they're very important for propelling you to run. And needless to say, he was caught and falling with, with, with your arms behind your back. It would not, be, would not be a pleasant thing when they caught him and put him down. Trying to run from God or to hide from God is just as ridiculous. Ridiculous. 
really. It doesn't feel it. It doesn't seem it. And we don't even have to be escaping or running in, in literally in a physical direction like Jonah was in order to be trying to hide from God or trying to avoid God or trying to silence God or, or, or trying to appease God. We're all running somewhere. You know so many phrases that we use with the word running? Because I can imagine if I saw this, the, the title of this series and it says we're all running somewhere, you know, some of us would say, no, I'm not. I'm not running anywhere. I wouldn't run. That's what Jason Herb does. He's a, he's a coach of the runners at, at Waterloo Oxford High School. Let Jason run. <laughs> but we say we're running this way and that way. We're running errands. We're hitting the ground running. We're running late. We're running rampant. We're running up debt. We're running out of time and energy. We're running around somewhere for some reason. We talk about running so often. We use that phrase. But more importantly, is it to the right somewhere? And is it for the right some reason that we're running? Because as Chris said earlier, we're either running to God, we're running from God, or we're running with God. And you could change that word to walking, whatever, whatever you like, if you prefer. But as, as the musicians come forward, let's, let me come back to that question. What is God saying to me that I need to be saying yes to? I want to encourage you at the beginning of this year, the beginning of 2020, with a real desire that our spiritual eyesight will become clearer and clearer of what God is, is calling us to do. Where we ask, Lord, first, what is your will? Help me to understand your will. And so much of it is found in his word. And then, Lord, how do I fit into that? What is God saying to me that I need to be saying yes to? Maybe there's something you need to be saying no to because you're saying yes to the Lord and no to something that you know isn't helpful. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you how, how even this week, as I asked this question, that, that you spoke very clearly to me about some of my habits and, and what I need to prioritize. And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that, Lord, when we're ready, when we're ready to give up, to you, when we're ready to, to, to surrender more to you, surrender it all to you, that we will hear what, what you're saying to us. And Lord, I thank you that, that it's from love that you, that you speak to us. Even as we, we sang about how you created us and we fell away but you have the love of a perfect parent to restore us. And I thank you, Lord, that Nineveh is just such a great example of that, this, this great city, yet this, this very godless city. And you said to Jonah, you go and you give my word to them 
Because I know they'll repent. Everybody is given a chance. Nobody deserves a chance, but everybody's given a chance. And so, Lord, I, I pray to you this morning, if there's anybody here among us, says, you know, I, I think maybe God's given up on me. Lord, I thank you that that is not true. And I thank you, Lord, that you reach out your arm, you reach out your hand, you reach out your love to every one of us. And you say, come. Come into my presence. And let me show you what I want you to say yes to. Whether it's doing or doing less or being who God has called us to be, first and foremost. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will breathe over your people so that this year, not because the calendar has changed, but it's an opportunity for us to pray this at the beginning of a new year, beginning of a new decade, that we would hear what you're wanting us to say yes to. In Jesus' name, amen.